How many Americans will Ayn Rand kill? That's the question Paul Krugman, an opinion columnist at the New York Times, has asked. And he thinks that he has the answer, and it's many, many more people. This is a special edition of New Ideal Live. My name is Ilan Jurno. I'm joined by my colleague Ankar Gatte, and we are here to respond to Paul Krugman's article, because we think that well, <laughs> I mean, I've been raging since I read it yesterday, Ankar. I, but let's let's sort of break down what is he actually saying, and what is the what is the gravity of this issue? Yeah, this is a smear job, and I think it's a deliberate smear job. The and think of the context. The context is hundreds of thousands of people have died. And what Krugman is lamenting is that the, there hasn't been a scientific fact-based approach to the pandemic. He's attacking what he sees as the Republican slash right response and they ignore science. And, so um, and he lumps together Donald Trump, who it's I think accurate to say Donald Trump has ignored science, ignored facts, ignored evidence with Ayn Rand. And it's, I blame, yeah, I partially blame Donald Trump for this, Krugman says, and I partially blame Ayn Rand for this. So he wants to lump them together and smear her by lumping her with Trump's um, abject failure in regard to the pandemic. That, and it's, the, it's, a, it's such a distortion of her viewpoint to say that it's not scientific, that liberty would mean anybody can do what they want. And he has in effect admitted that, yeah, this is a caricature, this isn't true of her. And in the context when people are dying, you're saying people aren't based on the facts. And then you openly say, yeah, look, my view of Ayn Rand, it's a caricature, it's not really factual, it's um, full, full of errors. And that's acceptable, that this is acceptable behavior when people are dying? It, this is, I mean, this is so outrageous that it's, I found it unbelievable. When I saw the headline, I thought this has to be a joke. Yeah, so I put on the screen two, two of many responses that Krugman has posted in response to his article. His article has now like 1700 comments already and, it, and he's responding to many people. So one of the comments is there. I don't think it matters what Ayn Rand actually meant. It's how modern right reads her. Uh, and then he says on Twitter, he's getting a lot of comments from people. This kind of indifference to what Ayn Rand actually said is, I mean, he's an intellectual. He's a Nobel Prize winning economist. He was at Princeton. Now he's got this elevated chair in economics at City University. This, this is how you treat an intel, another intellectual. This is how you treat, uh, and, and as you put it, in the context when people are actually dying, and businesses are collapsing left and right. I mean, the, the devastation is going to be rolling through the economy for, for who knows how long. This is how you approach an issue? Yeah, I mean, he accuses her or her ideas of killing thousands of people. And he can't be bothered to get her ideas right. But you're going to accuse someone of killing people through that? It's just, um, I mean, the New York Times should be ashamed of itself for publishing this op-ed. Like, don't they have some editorial process that... And this is a joke when they get this? I mean, I, one thing that struck me is that this is not the first time that Paul Krugman has responded, it, has found a way to hang something really bad 
on Ayn Rand. You know, he seems to have a like a pet peeve or like a, an axe to grind, I would say, that he, he he's looking for opportunities, number one, to associate her with the worst elements of so the Republican conservative right wing world. And number two, there's evidence, and he's actually said he's read her book. He, I mean, I think one of the tweets this morning or one of the comments was, yeah, I read her when I was 16 and I thought it was ridiculous. So he both knows something about what she said and he's constantly out to bash her, but, he, but there's no engagement with what she actually said. Yeah, and I think there's active, um, an, an active attempt to distort what she said and to, as you said, it's to, to lump her together with people who aren't anywhere close to her view. Um, we've both written on the, the idea that Ayn Rand would have liked Donald Trump, that Donald Trump is anywhere close to something like a hero in her novels. She's close to the, he's close to the villains in her novels um, and of, of people she's written about as these are really bad, really evil people. But he wants to lump her together so that I don't have to deal with her ideas. So I think it's calculated. And you say he, he periodically mentions her. And I, I have an uh, opinion piece of a few years ago now of why I think he's doing this. He recognizes that of all the people on the right, he sometimes, in, in this op-ed, he sometimes calls them conservatives, sometimes calls them libertarians. Um, he knows the one thinker that opposes him on moral ground, that challenges his whole moral framework, and that we're not uh, in America, we should not be living for the common good. We should not be sacrificing our interests, but rather pursuing our own happiness. She's the only one who makes a moral argument against the mixed economy, against the welfare state. And, so, and that's an argument that he doesn't want to face head on. He doesn't want to take that, oh, there's someone challenging it that morally what we're doing is all wrong. So he wants to lump it in with, oh, she's like a Donald Trump who couldn't care less about the facts, will lie at every attempt. Um, and it's even worse than mine. He just, he just doesn't care, Trump. And he wants to lump, like, that's what Ayn Rand is like. And she's is so not like that. And that's what he dare not face. Yeah, I think it's worth just spelling out a bit more about how different Ayn Rand is, the real Ayn Rand from the caricature in his piece. So you mentioned that she stands for a, sort of the moral case for freedom that's very different from the conservative approach. I mean, one of the things that leapt out at me in Krugman is her associating her with what I think is a terrible trend in our society, which is this view that science is, who cares about science? We have our own facts. We don't wanna believe what you say. And this kind of uh, dismissal of the truth. And that is the exact opposite of what Ayn Rand was about. She's about, look at the facts, whether you like them or not, look at the truth. That's what your whole orientation in life should be about. Not what you feel like is true, what would make you feel good about it. Even if it's uncomfortable, you should be oriented to the truth as best you can reach it using your rational judgment. And if there was ever an intellectual in the 20th century who championed reason and who understood both the power of science to improve human life and, and the importance of protecting science from the encroachment of religion and, and sort of the anti-science sort of tribal mentality that's rising up in the 20th century, it was Ayn Rand. I mean, she is the hero of science. She should be the hero of scientists everywhere. She should be the, the, the model for what to do and how to approach this sort of thing. And, and I, one other aspect of this that rankles me is 
the, so he's, as you put it, he's lumping Ayn Rand together with Donald Trump. And one of the features of Donald Trump that I think is most objectionable in the context of the pandemic is the denial of the obvious fact and the inventing of facts. And so this complete blind indifference to what is what reality is and sort of making all kinds of radical wild claims about, you know, inject yourself with disinfectant or this is going to be a cure for me. And you know, it's going to be, the numbers are going to go to zero anytime soon, when, as we now know, he knew that was false. So this complete disregard for reality. This is a fundamental philosophic difference. Like Ayn Rand is about fact. What is, is you have to accept reality is independent of you and orient your mind to it, not the other way around. Whereas Donald Trump is the other way around. It's part of the primacy of his mind, his consciousness. He can invent facts. He can make reality be what he wants it to be. Yeah, it, it's she has, she's the opposite of Trump in regard to what it means to go by facts, to respect the facts, to base your whole viewpoint on the facts. She's also the opposite of what Krugman says that the what liberty means. So the subtitle of his article is "Liberty doesn't mean freedom to infect other people." Ayn Rand is on record. That yes, that's right. When you get an infectious disease that is of sufficient uh, danger or threat or severity, she is on record saying that yes, the government can quarantine carriers of the disease. And that freedom requires that the government do this. It's not just it can do this. Freedom, if you're walking around actually contagious with a disease that can really harm people or kill other people, you don't have the right and so you don't have the freedom to go around just infecting whoever you want. But the, if you take seriously what that would mean, what the government should be doing, it's neither what Trump has done nor what um, states like he, uh, Krugman brings up New York, the state of New York. It's not what New York did. Now, New York was in a difficult situation because I think the federal government defaulted on its responsibilities in regard to when we have a pandemic the CDC was there, it's supposed to lead, the federal government is supposed to lead, it did not lead, it denied. Um, and it, as it has come out now, I mean, Trump knew in February that, yeah, this is pretty serious and still denied it publicly and did nothing. So the, the, the states, including New York, which was one of the first to really face this, uh, they were in a difficult situation, but still what a government that respects freedom should be trying to do is trying to identify the carriers of the disease. You need to develop testing. You need to develop the, the, the ability to isolate the, car the carriers and to track. And this is, as many people in public health have said, like this is public health 101. This is what you need to do. And it's you go after the people carrying the disease and you leave the people who aren't free to still function. And so the government has a, a central role here, but it's not to lock everyone in their homes, to lock down the state or the economy. It's rather to identify the actual carriers of the disease. And it's true that they, when, when we're talking about a disease like COVID-19, they're threats to other people and they need to quarantine. And the government has a role in that. Um, that's her position. We've talked about that. We've written about that. It's not very hard if he just goes to our website to find what the position would be that both what she said and a development of that viewpoint. And the fact, again, that Krugman couldn't care less to do this. It's not that he says, oh yeah, I tried to find, but I couldn't find anything. It's yeah, I might be caricaturing her, but what's the big deal? 
That's a travesty. So, you know, I have misgivings about the following, but I think I, we should put it on the table and make it public. So Paul Krugman, we're addressing you. This is the Ayn Rand Institute. We're open to debating you on this or any other aspect of this issue. If we'll, you know, we'll write to you, we'll set up a time, you know, at your convenience, we wanna debate this. This is an open call for a debate with you. Reach out to us. We want you to respond to our invitation. And let's talk about this honestly. Let's engage with the, our actual arguments that Iran puts forward and let's hear your best case, not a smear, but your best case. And then we'll have a live audience. We'll broadcast this. We'll have people hear the truth because that's what we think needs to happen. Do I think he's going to accept? <laughs> I don't think so. And now to me, that, that is part of what's sad about this, which is he's in a position of strength. Like he's a super smart guy and he's not willing to take on Ayn Rand, which to me suggests both, what, as you put it earlier, so the, I think there's a fear of what she represents and an unwillingness to let her be sort of uh, influential in the culture. I would add this, that if the New York Times takes its role seriously and takes its audience seriously, its subscribers who pay to get the New York Times, if you think Krugman's column is respectful towards your audience, he's smearing somebody, saying that her ideas kill people. He knows it's not really true. And this you're giving to your audience. Like here, paid to read this. You should be pushing him to actually debate this and to come clean. Yeah, I mean, I think part of what would be involved in sort of rectifying the smear, of redressing the, the injustice here is, at minimum, retract this article. Like you can't make this claim, openly admit you didn't bother looking at the arguments and then let it stand. And then, I mean, at least I had a comment from the editor saying, yeah, this title is, is worse than clickbait. It's defamatory. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is not the, the uh, sort of the central issue or the main thing to raise about the New York Times, but the kind of things that they publish are, astonishing to me. Now, this is one of their own columnists. It's not an outside person that they're bringing in for a variety of perspectives as they like to tell themselves. This is one of their like, star columnists. Mm -hmm. and, and this is what you publish? Uh, I just want to say that um, I, I do regard what he's published in the whole article and the title as defamatory, as damaging to Ayn Rand's name and her ideas. And I, and I think it's important <laughs> to to stress that Ayn Rand herself had a view that there, the laws against libel are legitimate. They, they deserve to be upheld. They're proper part of a free society, a part of protecting people's uh, freedom and their, and their property and their character and their reputation. And I mean, I, I, this is, I mean, she's on record as saying this, she, she was responding to a question in 1973 at the Fort Hall Forum and you can find her comment in the book, Ayn Rand Answers, which is edited by Rob Mayhew. You know, I think it's important to get that this is serious. Like you, you, you are, there's a, I mean, even if it doesn't, I don't know if legally you could take action. I don't, I don't know that the way the law acts on this, but intellectually, it, it's sort of intellectually is a crime. Like you, as, a, as someone who should know better and does know better, he's, he's uh, sort of actively trying to smear her uh, or in one of the biggest platforms there is. Um, yeah, it really is shameful. I, I want to just turn to another point that, so we were talking about this earlier and, and um, 
one of the things that, as you put it in, in his subtitle, um, he character he has a certain kind of conception of liberty that he, the whole thing, the whole article trades on this. But is it, I mean, is this really, I mean, it's certainly not Ayn Rand's view of liberty. We've, we've kind of touched on that a bit, but is this his view of liberty? Does he think anyone has this view? And like, what, what does it actually mean? I mean, so let me find the, the subtitle here. It's quite interesting. So Krugman's subtitle is, liberty doesn't mean freedom to infect other people. I mean, it's a misrepresentation of liberty to think that, but what is, I mean, is this just another way of kind of digging, taking a dig at people who have some sort of, even if unclear perspective on freedom? Because I think that it's a, a lot of Americans have the view that we should be free and they're recoiling for various reasons against the, the measures that have been taken. I think sometimes for bad reasons, but I think many cases for good reasons. Like if you own a business, you're, you're being crippled in ways that no one could have imagined. Um, what's really going on here? I mean, he has, he's relying on a distorted conception in people's mind of what liberty means. And one of the reasons Ayn Rand wrote so much about the nature of liberty, the nature of freedom, and trying to resurrect and put on a proper philosophical foundation, the American conception of freedom and of liberty is that it's so misunderstood today by Americans. And you can see this in Krugman. So in both directions, so the subtitle, liberty doesn't mean the freedom to infect other people. Ayn Rand doesn't think it does. As we talked about, yes, if you're carrying an infectious disease that can really harm or even kill people, yes, you don't have the freedom to just go walk around and shake hands with anybody, um, cough on them and so on. No, that is similar to if you punch them in the face and you don't have a right to do that. So the idea that Ayn Rand who takes freedom so seriously thinks this is, that's a joke. But he says that we, what, however he would characterize himself now, we liberals or we progressives understand that, well, when we're talking about just the interactions of two individuals, they can do what they want. So he puts it as um, many things should be matters of individual choice. This is from the op-ed. The government has no business dictating your cultural tastes, your faith, or what you decide to do with other consenting adults. <clears throat> that is true in the sense of the American conception of liberty. But Paul Krugman doesn't believe this. If you take seriously that it, when you've got two consenting adults, the government can't come and interfere and say, look, what you guys are deciding, we don't like it. So we're telling you to do something else. And Krugman's trying to activate in his reader's mind, yeah, like it's Mike Pence coming in your bedroom and saying you can't use contraception, you can't engage in anal sex. This is what, we don't want this, the Trump administration and Pence doing this, the government has no business doing that. But Krugman will do this all, day and night in regard to economic issues. What's minimum wage? I wanna hire you for $8 an hour. It's two of us, we're both consenting to the transaction. Why can the government come in and say, no, we don't like this result. You can't do this. If you don't pay him $15, you can't work and you can't hire him. That's the interference with the actions of consenting adults and of them exercising their rights. And Krugman does all the time advocates things like this. So the idea that, well, they understand what liberty is and Ayn Rand doesn't, 
it's that again is such a smear and if smear and if you took her argument seriously versus caricaturing it he would have to address this that she says that this applies also in economic realm. What's your argument that it doesn't, that you can control minimum wage, you can impose all kinds of economic regulations. And he doesn't have a good moral argument for that, which is why he wants to smear. So I wanna just put on the record, so people watching this have never heard of the Ayn Rand Institute and they're, they're just finding us on YouTube or on the podcast. Let's just say like top three things that we've advocated and we're on record as saying about how taking Ayn Rand's philosophic framework what would it actually look like to approach the pandemic? Because I think it's the inverse of what his title would be. It's Ayn Rand's approach would save millions of lives. It would save the economy because, it, it, I mean, let, so you wrote a white paper about this. Let, let's just take down sort of the key points about what this approach would look like, because as the title was a pro-freedom approach to, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting that wrong. It's a pro-freedom uh, approach to pandemics, right? So. Infectious disease. Infectious yeah. disease, sorry. Um, and so let's, let's just break down the three key points in our approach that, that I think just heighten the contrast with sort of the caricature. And so I think the debate in, in the culture in general, because I think our, our, our view is definitely different from the, the kind of conventional Trump right-wing type view and from the, the sort of progressive, uh, supposedly pro-science approach. Let, let's just kind of mark out the key things. Where, where would you start? I'd start with that the government has to be enormously fact-based here. So the first thing the government has to figure out when there's um, evidence starting to emerge that there's a pandemic, there's a new infectious disease, is what is the evidence? What is the evidence for this occurring? How does it transmit? What is its severity? And it has to base all of this on the actual data and the actual science in consultation with experts, epidemiologists and others who, are in, in, who's, who make a, their specialty public health to say, okay, yeah, we do have a new infectious disease and it's not like the flu. It's deadlier than, than the flu. There's not much immunity to it. Um, and so it's gonna spread to many more people. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, the way that it spreads, it's contagious and so And it's okay, so we've got an infectious disease that's severe enough that we have to isolate carriers of it. We have to quarantine them and maybe those they've exposed. That's the first step. And it has to be completely reason-based, completely science-based that yes, there is a new threat. And then the second thing is if it's taking freedom and rights seriously, it's okay, we've got to separate the people who are carriers from the people who aren't. So we have to invest massively in testing but that's like the government has to test. It doesn't have to control all testing. So another major, major mistake in this. So the first is the government did not take it seriously, was not fact-based, was too worried about re-elections. I mean, there's enormous amount of evidence that I think that they defaulted on one, then they screwed up at like, that's the most charitable interpretation of testing that were, they did not, um, they, they tried to control it. They didn't leave the private sector free to develop tests. And then the government would buy them for the, it has to be able to isolate and quarantine. So it did not do testing. And the, then the third thing is, okay, this is turning out to be a disaster because we've, we've defaulted on one and two um, of facing the facts and of developing tests. So it's, we've got to lock down everything because we're going to be blamed for the deaths and so on. And 
No, it should not have the power to be able to close an economy, to close a state. It should have the power to isolate the actual carriers of the disease, not to control everybody's life and say, okay, everybody has to stop now and no production, no economy can go on, no businesses. Yeah, and if you're failing um, and if you're worried of going bankrupt and so on, what can you do? And we're gonna print a whole bunch of money, which just means you're gonna transfer wealth all over the place and destroy an enormous amount of wealth. So the response that's happened is nothing like a pro-freedom response. And the idea that, so this is part of the wider smear of Krugman's piece. This is what it looks like if you have, if you take liberty seriously, if you listen to Ayn Rand, it's not anything what it looks like if you take freedom rights and the government's responsibility seriously. Something like Taiwan is much closer to what a pro-liberty, pro-freedom government would do. And the last I looked, they have under a thousand cases. I mean, so I mentioned earlier that Krugman had sort of looks for opportunities to smear Ayn Rand. And I forget when it was, it was just a month or a few months ago, he had a piece about the cult of selfishness in society. And he's clearly uh, sort of alluding to Ayn Rand. And, and I think in other places, he, he, he brings her up more explicitly. And again, it's, it's not even a, and there's no attempt to engage with her actual view of what selfishness is, because I mean, would what would selfishness really look like in this context? Is, are you is it being selfish to go around and infect other people? I mean, is that really true? It's I think to do that is contemptible, and it I mean the idea that a selfish person, so a person who takes his self interest and his own happiness seriously, the idea that he's indifferent and this kind of callously indifferent to other people. I'm going to go around. I know I'm a carrier of a disease. I'm going to go around and infect other people. What do I care? So that, that, that this is a person who's interested in his own happiness and that like, other people don't matter to me and I, it doesn't matter to me if people are dropping dead and so on. I couldn't care less if they're damaged and so on. That nobody who actually is thinking rationally about his self-interest and happiness would think that. But part of what the the context today is, is you don't know if you're a carrier. So it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm wearing a mask. If I, if you do go out, I think you should quarantine at home if you have, if you know you're a car carrier of the disease. Um, but you don't, nobody knows anything because testing is still a disaster, despite what the government says and so on. It's still a disaster. I mean, my wife got tested in July. Um, and her doctor was embarrassed by saying, yeah, get tested. Don't go here because they don't know how to test. They leave the samples out in the sun. So don't go, but I'll do it. I'll send in the test. We probably won't get results in any, and we, two weeks it took in July to get results. Testing is still a disaster. And if people don't know if they're, if, so we still have no idea and no ability to separate carriers from people who aren't carriers. And then it becomes, they talk about pandemic fatigue. Yeah, there's fed fatigue when the government doesn't do anything for months and months and months. It doesn't fulfill its primary responsibility. And then you want to show, put it all on the shoulders of the people and say, they're not acting properly. The government has screwed up everything here. So I think we should uh, wrap up. I just want to say a couple of things. Uh, we, we've got some folks on the YouTube Super Chat. Thank you for those contributions. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're grateful for your support, uh, financial and otherwise. And so two calls to action. One, 
if this has outraged you, or if you want to know what, let's start with this. If you want to find out what Ayn Rand really has to say, come to our website, aynrand.org. You can read our journal, New Ideal, and you can find out the, the article that Ankar wrote is available there. You can listen to it. You can read it. You can print it. You can pour over it. You can find out what Ayn Rand actually says about freedom in capitalism, the unknown ideal. You can find out her moral view in virtue of selfishness. Actually engage with what she has to say. And then judge for yourself the, the honesty of uh, Paul Krugman and of the editors of the New York Times who allowed this piece to stand. So engage with the actual uh, position that Ayn Rand holds and give her a fair hearing. That's what we're asking of Paul Krugman. That's what we're asking of you who are watching. I think the second thing is if you have a view, if you understand what Ayn Rand is about, you understand the injustice here, take action. Let the New York Times know what you think. Uh, let Paul Krugman know what you think. Tell other people, help get this message out and help us raise awareness of sort of the, the, the real uh, smear and, and, and uh, injustice that's being committed here against one, what I think of as, as one of the seminal thinkers of recent memory, who's, who actually has incredibly valuable contributions that, that in effect would help us solve this problem, not make it worse. And finally, for Paul Krugman, the invitation stands. We will debate you. We will put a representative from the Ayn Rand Institute alongside you on stage. Let's talk about place and time. We're open to it. This is an open invitation. We want to take you on. We want you to take on Ayn Rand's actual views and debate them rather than smearing her in the way that you have done in your column. So thanks, Ankar, for joining. Uh, we've got a lot of questions here, but I think um, some of them have already been covered in the discussion about what is Paul Krugman really doing? I think we've dealt with that. Um, some questions about libel and the law. I think uh, that's a topic for another time. I think the final thing to say is that, um, I'll leave you with a final word, but my thought is, um, I think it's important that, um, the point you raised earlier really resonates with me that, that there's something really revealing about Krugman's attitude and motivation in this and his whole pattern of approach to Ayn Rand, which is, yes, Ayn Rand is someone he should be afraid of because she has answers and views he cannot answer rationally. He cannot do that. And I think what he's trying to do is dismiss her and marginalize her. And the Ayn Rand Institute is here to prevent that. We're here to make sure that Ayn Rand gets a hearing that, she's found, that people find out about her and they can judge for themselves rather than hearing an argument from, or a pseudo argument from someone like Paul Krugman. On the issue of the pandemic, the whole presentation in Krugman is the problem is we've had too much freedom. And the problem in this pandemic is we have not had enough freedom. We've not had an American response that respects the freedom, the liberty of individuals, of corporations to act in the face of a new danger. And if you read my paper, you'll get this is what it would look like if we actually had a pro-freedom response. The problem is we haven't had a pro-freedom response. Not we've had too much Ayn Rand, we've had way too little Ayn Rand. Well, thanks all of you for joining us. This has been a special uh, episode of New Ideal Live. Uh, we'd love to get your feedback. Leave us a comment on YouTube or on Facebook. If you're watching, like this video, share it with other people. And if you want to send us your feedback, you can write to us uh, by email, newideal at And we'll see you next time. Thanks very much.
You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.